0: But before we talk about why that's true, I want to make sure that we understand the depth of what hopelessness is. Because I don't think we can really get a hold of hope until we understand and embrace the hopelessness that is ours in our day. I would submit to you that hopelessness defined is a condition resulting from an acute sense of loss of power or control. One more time. Hopelessness is a condition that results from an acute sense of loss of power and control. In our lives, we face those times, whether financial or in relationships or in our health situations and certainly in our spiritual lives, we face those times where we understand vividly that we are now totally out of control and hopelessness invades our lives at that point. I'll give you an example out of my own life. It's probably been 12, 15 years ago now, I don't remember exactly, but uh, not long after we moved to the Rio Grande Valley for the second time, a friend of mine who lives in the panhandle of Texas and pastoring a church there wanted to come see us, and he was kind of like more like a brother than a friend to me, and um, so he took some vacation time and left his family up there to work, and he came down so that we could play. And one of the things that he wanted, he had grown up, part of his growing up years had spent on the coast of the Atlantic over in North Carolina. And so he wanted to go from our house about an hour and a half down to South Padre Island and do a little bit of swimming and uh, that kind of stuff. And uh, he and I had met together while we were going through college every morning through the course of the week, and we would spend uh, swim about a mile or so at the local YMCA. So both of us were accomplished swimmers, and so we went down. It was in the month of October, and we went to South Padre Island, and we decided we would go swimming. Now, I, I learned that day, I didn't really know this, but it's worth knowing that there are certain flags that they fly at the Coast Guard Station at the beach. If you've ever been on a boat offshore, you know that you're supposed to pay attention to those flags. Okay, I didn't realize it. Actually, there were two flying that day. I found out later what it meant was there's was a tropical system in the Gulf, and nobody should be in the water. Minor details. I'm not sure it would have mattered for us that day anyway. But uh, we decided we would go swimming, and so we found ourselves out trying to. You know, the waves were pretty intense for South Texas, and uh, it was a great time for probably. Maybe four minutes, I suppose. And we found ourselves getting pulled further and further offshore by the riptide currents. And at one point, finally, I looked at him and I said, uh, we're getting further away from land. And he said, yeah, I was thinking that too. Maybe we should make a swim for it. Well, by that time, we were far enough off that we were at the mercy of those waves. And we started swimming, as it turns out, for our lives. I don't know how long that process took. But I remember somewhere in the process of that we, were, we had tried to stay together so that we could at least theoretically help one another out and we got separated and it wouldn't have mattered anyway because I found myself at that point where the waves were breaking and they were breaking down on top of me so every time a wave came it just drove me under and sapped my strength just a little bit more. I reached a point in that process, where I remember to this moment thinking these thoughts, so I guess this is what it's like to drown. My strength was gone. I couldn't even see the shore from where I was. A total loss of power and control. And I just gave up fighting. And clearly... The fact that I'm here today tells you that I made it through. I'm not some freak of nature and, you know, died and came back or anything like that. But in that moment, maybe not really for the first time in my life because I've had several of those kind of experiences where I realized that I could not do it on my own. And in that moment, I just gave up. You know what I've found since then in my dealings with people? You don't have to be stuck in the water to get that feeling. Life comes at us wave upon wave upon wave and drives us to the end of ourselves. That's hopelessness. What do you do in that kind of situation? When you find yourself at the end of yourself, what do you do? What is the remedy For hopelessness. Well, let's look at the word hope for just a second. Now, I'll tell you that I I don't buy into, I made a reference to this earlier this week with some of you uh, here, but I, I don't buy into the human level of hope when it comes to the stuff we're talking about here. The human level of hope is really, we could define hope as most people use it, as wishful thinking. Many of you woke up this morning with great hopes of having a brand new Mercedes in your driveway. Had that work out for you. Many of us went into this week with hopes that the Cowboys would make the playoffs. How's that working out for us? You see... Hope, when it's reduced to the way we tend to use it, it's just a shot in the dark. It's wishful thinking. I hope that something happens that benefits me. When we come to talk about biblical hope, it is nothing even resembling wishful thinking. Biblical hope, this is my definition for it. You'll hear it a lot as we go through the years together. Biblical hope is a confident assurance that is based on the revealed Word of God. Let me run that by you one more time. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking like, oh, in my best thinking, I just kind of wish this would happen. That's human hope. Biblical hope is because God said it, I'm sure that it's going to happen. Confident assurance based on the revealed Word of God. Now that brings me to Christmas. No matter what it is in your life today, The economy that we face. The joblessness that's out there. The new elections that we have facing us. No matter what it is that triggers hopelessness for you, God has a word for us. And the Christmas word is a word of hope. Let's look at this passage today. Isaiah chapter 9. It's a famous passage at Christmas time, or at least two verses of it are. A few verses, maybe I should say. But I want to make sure that we get the setting for this and get it all in its proper context. Because what Isaiah says to those people we call the children of Israel, he says through the centuries and it reaches down to that time in the life of Israel and Rome, that first century, that birth in a manger of the one that we call Jesus. It is a message that I call the Christmas hope. The situation was critical for the children of Israel. This is the northern kingdom. And they were in a process of apostasy. They were walking away from God. They weren't really asking for what God had to say to them. In fact, they were ignoring what God had already said to them. So in that situation, God begins to institute judgment for them. And in the process of that judgment, he sends in these godless foreign countries, superpowers of their day. And they come in and they begin to put pressure on the children of Israel. And so the Assyrians come in, and with all kinds of problems that it creates for the children of Israel, the children of Israel now find themselves in a hopeless condition. What in the world are we going to do? And we actually, this passage starts. I'm going to read this part of it for you. It's not on the screen. But in chapter 8, verses 19, this is what God says to Isaiah. To the rest of the people, it says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Let me just stop and tell you what that says. What he's saying is, when the people who are full of hopelessness say, you need to go to a medium, in South Texas we call them curanderas, those who converse with the dead, they claim, witch doctors. The children of Israel, the ones that God had taken out of captivity and cared for them and nurtured them through that time in the wilderness and those exodus wanderings. He had taken them through great heights of political power in the world. Those same people had abandoned God and now they were going to the occult to try to figure out what was happening. How hopeless could they be? Sounds like America in the 21st century, doesn't it? And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? In other words, go to the written law of God and what he said to you. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Don't you love these upbeat Christmas messages I'm bringing? What a terrible word from God's prophet. To those of you who are hopeless, all you have to look forward to is more hopeless. Surely not. Surely, Isaiah, you have a better word than that. And so chapter 9, verse 1 picks up. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali... But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And here's the part that we recognize. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Okay, now here's your message of hope. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. To those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. In other words, these are great days. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire, and here's the part we recognize for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christmas hope. In the face of incredible hopelessness, the people come, as Walter Brueggemann said, the people come to the preacher, to the prophet, and they say, surely God has a word for us today. I would submit to you that the world in which we live on this day stands at the door of the church of Jesus Christ and they say, Surely you have something that will help us today. So what is the word of hope? Certainly we find that it's tied up in that little baby. But what is the word of hope? Isaiah, as he speaks these words, looks forward into history. Only God can accomplish what Isaiah is saying here. And Isaiah looks forward and he says, I know that things are awful today, but there's a day coming. There's a baby coming, and this baby turns everything around. Merry Christmas. In the truest sense of the word, Merry Christmas, because of who Jesus Christ is. Let's look very quickly at these four names that he gives us of this Messiah. The first one we find, by the way, they're all found in uh, verse 6. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. And I know that our tendency is to want to take that in two separate words. Uh, There's really not a comma between them. His name is not Wonderful and also Counselor. It is Wonderful Counselor. It's important that we see it that way because the word Wonderful actually is a Hebrew term that means supernatural. Supernatural. It's the closest thing we have in the Hebrew language of saying this thing is so far beyond us as people that it can only be God in a single kind of word statement. That's what he's saying. In other words, as he comes back and he talks to us about this child that is born, he says this child, as we've been talking about for several weeks, is no ordinary baby. He is wonderful, supernatural, divine in the truest sense of the word. And then he thrust that word together with this other one called Counselor. He is one who is our resource in life, but he's not just a good Counselor. He is God himself, supernatural, defying humanity in the process. Wonderful Counselor. You know... What I've found through the years is that when people come to me in crises of life, and they get, we get all kinds, all different flavors of life, all different situations, people from time to time come to me and they say, okay, I have this situation, I need help with this. Much of what they need is perspective. Because when we get wrapped, uh, locked in and wrapped up in these things of life that take us beyond ourselves, all we tend to see is just the problem that's in front of us. I had a guy in my life who used to, a mentor of mine, uh, okay, he was my dad, and uh, he used to say it this way, uh, you know, most people find themselves in a rut and they need to come and find a way out of the rut, but the problem with being in a rut is you can't get out of it why we use the term stuck in a rut he goes on to say that a rut is nothing other than a grave with both ends kicked out you know what that means it means you're going to die in that rut if you don't get out of it so what i try to do with people when they come to me with situations like that is but by the way when you're down in there all you can see is the earth that's on either side of you you can't see out sometimes you can't even see that there's daylight So I try to say to people, let's dig some holes in the side of this rut so you can climb out. Part of the process of that is the perspective that you need to see things accurately. That all catches what Isaiah says in this first name, wonderful counselor. Let me put it to you this way. You can go and watch a parade. And if you put a chair on the corner of a street and the parade comes and it's let's say it's a parade that's three miles long and you can sit there long enough and you can see the entire parade And you'll see that first line of people that come across, usually at least in deep south Texas, it was police cars and fire trucks with sirens going and making all kinds of noise. And that was a signal, here comes the parade. And you can sit on that corner and you can watch them come by and their sound, you can hear it before it gets there and then it finally kind of filters out of your hearing. And every little act that comes by, every component of that parade, you see every piece of it as it comes by, but you only see the piece. Let's take, on the other hand, that you want to watch this parade until you get in a helicopter and you go up to about 2,500 feet. And from that vantage point, you can see the beginning of the parade. You can see the end of the parade. You can see all the stuff, even the people who come along behind the parade and clean up the mess. Now, which of those two perspectives do you think God has on your life? See what happens with hopelessness is we get so locked in and all we see is right now and and our fears of the unknown and our fears of the out of control of the future drive us to despair. That this wonderful counselor comes into our lives and he gives us perspective on the whole thing that is the parade of your life. And all you see is the dark day that is today, but God sees where you are 10 years from now. He's not limited by time. He's as much there as he is here. That ought to blow your mind on Christmas Day. And so he knows exactly what you need today. Let me tell you, that's good news. This child, the one who brings hope, the one who turns everything around, is a wonderful counselor. The supernatural one who gives us perspective on living. There's another one. Mighty God. It's an interesting construction that Isaiah uses here. Literally, he takes the name, the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew names for God, which is EL, E L, but he uses another term attached to it. So, mighty God is not a bad uh, interpretation for us or translation for us, but we could literally translate this as God. The heroic one. I love that. Because I find in my life and in the lives of many other people, when we find ourselves eaten up with a lack of hope, we need a hero. I think Whitney Houston told us about that, didn't she? Or was it Mariah Carey? Or No, it was Isaiah the prophet who said, this child, the one to us that is born, God, the heroic one. While I was working through, getting ready for this message, I was flashing back to my childhood and all of those superheroes of our day. Now, I know these days I've got kids and my son who's a youth minister, and he deals with that, and I talk to children all the time. And, you know, so I know that we have our superheroes of our day, Spider-Man and, you know, I guess Batman and those superheroes. But in our day, it was Mighty Mouse, That just doesn't fit exactly, right? An underdog, that's right. Here I come to save the day. An underachieving dog. Really? Really? Is that all the help I have to look forward to is a mouse and a dog? No. According to Isaiah the prophet... In the midst of my hopeless despair. God. The heroic one. Comes to set straight the world. (laughs) That's some baby in that manger don't you think? Mighty God. You may be here today. I, I, I used this statement at Stacy's funeral the other day. I want to share it again today because it it speaks volumes to me. It's a simple statement, and I hope that it'll be something you can hang on to. As we go through life, it's amazing how much can change in the blink of an eye. I mean, things that were settled and set and everything's fine, just like that, in the blink of an eye, they're changed. And the rug gets ripped out from under us. In the blink of an eye, everything changes, but take heart, Christian, God never blinks. He is the heroic one. And He steps into the chaos of our lives and He says, I'm here. And things are different where the hero is. The third name, Everlasting Father. This story comes to me from a guy that's actually a pastor on the east coast but he tells a story of a nurse in kirbyville texas and i thought to myself man i bet you we have people in our church who might even know who this particular lady was whatever the case he tells it as if it's a true story i'm going to share it that way also name was mary williamson she was a pediatric nurse at a hospital and they had a young boy who was brought in And, uh, so they brought him in, they dealt with him and they were going to have to keep him overnight. So they put him in his room and the mom said, now we weren't planning on being at the hospital. So I'm going to have to run to get some stuff for him from the house. I'll be right back. So they got him settled in his room. The mom left and Mary Williamson decided there was something that she needed to say to him. And so, uh, she, she had forgotten to tell him she was at the nurse's station. So she just called him on the intercom of his phone. She hadn't told him how it worked or anything, but she called him by name, no answer. She called him by name again. Still no answer. She's getting ready to get a little bit concerned now. So she calls him one more time. And over the intercom calls him by name. And she hears this in response. Jesus, I hear you, but where are you? Wouldn't that be nice from time to time if God in a very audible kind of voice would just speak into your situation and calm your fears? Fear is a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. It can be used to keep us alive or it can be used to suck the life right out of us. In the face of despair and hopelessness for many people, fear rules the day. And with that in mind, Isaiah gives us the third name, of this child who is born interesting terminology for unto us a child is born and his name shall be called everlasting father a child whose name father But what isaiah does here is he takes us into the heart of jewish culture a culture that is built around not the mother who is the caregiver necessarily but the father who is the one who reaches into and around his family he pulls him to himself he is the breadwinner the provider and the primary caregiver to them And so isaiah takes us to that manger that would happen hundreds of years later and he says this baby is a father It's not exactly right he's not a father he's the father we saw that in Colossians already a little bit, but Isaiah is emphasizing that which those people needed in the face of the onslaught of the enemy. They needed to know that their heavenly Father had not abandoned them. And that assurance comes in the face of that child. Everlasting Father, But just like that little boy in the hospital, and just like those people in Isaiah's time, we need a father who is always caring for us. I don't need the one who's here today and gone tomorrow. I don't need the one who's up and down, and when he's feeling good, everything's fine, but when he's having a bad day, you better get out of his way. This is the father who is constant eternal. And He sets things right. Literally, He is the Father of eternity. That's the way Isaiah says says it for us. It takes us to the final title. He is the Prince of Peace. Prince, we get that. A ruler, a one who is in authority. I've talked to you a little bit about Peace here, and particularly the word is shalom, but it is more than just peace as in the absence of war. Shalom and the Jewish uh, way of thinking and the the, uh, stuff that's tied to that Hebrew word is not just the absence of war. Shalom is a situation where all is well. Everything that is needed for contentment and safety and the absence of war, everything that is needed in life is in place. It is a condition called shalom. And this Jesus, this child in the manger, is the Prince of Shalom. He promises that for his people. And so if you're here today, and you're like me, and there are things in this world, and things maybe in your life that are not exactly right, and you look at that, and it has the tendency to push you towards hopelessness, never forget... That this Jesus, this child that he prophesies about, the child whose birth we celebrate today, the King of kings who even now is alive, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven, this same Jesus says, I give you peace in your life. It is a peace that defies the conditions. Matter of fact, conditions don't even, I mean, I'm talking about the negative conditions of our life, they don't even come into into the picture here because he's here. The Prince of Peace. Everything that is needed for life and fulfillment is done in him. So this Christmas, what do you see in that manger? For unto us a child is born. What do you see there? For several weeks we've looked at what Paul said about this Jesus. Now we look further back in time and we see what Isaiah says as he looked forward. But what's really important today is what do you see in that manger? For unto us a child is born and everything changes. Gordon MacDonald tells a story of a Nigerian woman. And in the process of his teachings and tours around he met this lady and he uh, had the occasion to talk to her a little bit and he asked her for her name she gave him her American name and he asked her point blank and so is that like your real name or is that one that you used when you came to America she said no actually that's my American name my real Nigerian name is and she laid it out there's about 49 syllables long and uh, and kind he said it had a musical tone to it and he said, that's beautiful. Uh, how did you get that name? She said, well, my name literally translated means the child who takes anger away. He's astute enough to ask her, okay, so what's the story behind that? And she went on to tell him of how her parents had dated. And in their village, uh, neither sets of parents wanted them to date. As a matter of fact, they didn't want them to see each other at all, and yet these two, guy and girl, spent time together to the point that they fell in love with one another and they defied all of the scruples of their tribal society and they got married anyway and were immediately ostracized by both sets of parents. So they lived their lives separated from family. Until that day that she delivered the mother delivered her first child, which is this lady that McDonald was talking to. And when both sets of parents came to see this new baby, and she handed, the mother did, this girl to her father. that father took that baby in his hands, and she said on his face, her mother told her later, all of the anger just melted away. And so the father... This girl's grandfather named her the child who takes anger away. A living testimony to how the birth of a single child can change the situation. McDonald said as he heard those words, I thought to myself, that's a great story about who Jesus is too. Because he is the child who takes anger away. And he takes the penalty of sin and he drives it as far as the east is from the west to those who will trust him for who he is. I know that all is not well in this world. And on Christmas time, I know that you would rather come in and hear one of those kind of sermons that says everything's great and we're happy and it's Christmas. Yay, it's Christmas! But we're going to walk out of the doors of this building and be confronted immediately with news that this world is not in good shape. And the world stands at the doorstep of churches across the world right now saying, surely you have a word for us. And the word is Jesus. Because he is the child who takes anger away. Merry Christmas. Absolutely. Let's pray. And so with this in mind, let me just bring this message home for you. I want to invite you to a personal relationship with this same child.